Hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Legal Wolf podcast, which was set up to raise awareness of and tackle the stigma surrounding mental health, not only within the UK, but around the world. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Carl Fix, all the way from the USA. Hi, Carl. Hi, Steve. How are you today? Um, good, thank you. Yourself? Um, I'm fine, thanks. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a, it's an honor and a privilege. No problem. You're very welcome. Um, and just for the listeners, would you be able to give a bit of a background as to who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, I practiced law. Uh, I was engaged in the private practice of law with two different law firms from 1988 to 2021, May of this year. Uh, I did for four years take a brief sidestep foray into the not-for-profit world. Uh, that was a non-legal position. I did that 2013 to 2017. I returned to the practice of law. So uh, it was 33 years ago that I received my law license. And uh, I started a new company in May of this year called No Surrender LLC, dedicating my time, energies, and passion into uh, fitness and wellness for uh, busy professionals, specifically lawyers. Um, I found during my practice, Steve, that, and I was a, on the litigation side of the practice, I found that um, having a, a fitness component in my, in my daily life made me more resilient and I, and I think a better lawyer. So I want to share that with the world and that's what I'm doing. Absolutely, Carl. I mean, obviously me being a lawyer, you being a lawyer, how do you feel that mental health is perceived within the law profession? Uh, I think the, the, the cover is coming off, but I still think uh, there is a lid on it for better or for worse. Uh, you know, there's that phrase toxic masculinity, which gets tossed about uh, every now and then. And I think, frankly, that does apply to the legal profession, especially those that engage in work in the courtroom. Um, people uh, just frown upon any crack in the armor because it is called the adversarial process for a reason. You have an adversary and you, you want to win. Your adversary wants to win. So inherently, there's conflict. And um, if you show any weakness in the armor, I think it's, it's frowned upon. Although that, as we know, is not sustainable. Uh, it's just not. It, it impacts morale. It impacts productivity. And that all leads to an impact on the bottom line. So I'm a bit surprised that that firms and other uh, companies haven't recognized that there's a there is a direct correlation between the two. So um, long answer short, I think the lid is coming off, but it's still there. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I think part of the reason why the lid is starting to lift, I would say, is due to COVID because people are, are starting to open up more. They're starting to talk more, particularly about anxiety and depression, because a lot more people seem to be suffering with that. Uh, agreed, Stephen. If I could, uh, there is a or there was a report. I'd like to share it with you and, and your community in the American Lawyer. It was published in May of this year, May of 2021. And these numbers, Steve, are staggering. 
they, um, these folks canvassed 3,200 law firm attorneys. They surveyed them. 37% of the respondents said they felt depressed in 2020, which is an uptick of nearly six percentage points. 71% said they experienced anxiety up seven percentage points. And 14% said they had a different mental illness up a little over two percentage points. And here's, here's uh, one thing, another thing I pulled out of this article, quote, when asked whether the pandem pandemic made their mental health worse, 70% of the respondents said yes. So at least amongst the legal profession in the states, that representative sample, 70% of the 3,200 attorneys that responded said that the pandemic made their mental health worse. That's a mind boggling number. And that needs to be addressed somehow. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And I think obviously being a lawyer, it's a very stressful job. There's a lot of stereotypes attached to a lawyer, i.e. because you're a lawyer and you've had all that legal education, you're meant to know everything. Whereas in actual fact, lawyers specialise in their different niche areas. And I, I think COVID is probably the tipping point. There's been a lot building up to that with the stresses and the pressures of the job, but with COVID and how it's changed the way that people think, um, it's kind of tipped a lot of people over the edge to be a lot more anxious, be a lot more fragile, potentially vulnerable in their roles? Uh, I, I would agree with that. And, and to the extent that the traditional brick and mortar office provided um, what I would call guide rails or guardrails for attorneys, where they had some structure to their day uh, and their structure, frankly, kept them on the rails, th those guardrails were uh, removed during the pandemic. And uh, I saw it amongst my colleagues. Uh, there was um, some struggling that, that occurred. Uh, and that's where I think the fitness comes in, um, because I, I think studies abound, which link physical fitness, um, allowing you to perhaps be a bit more resilient when dealing with either depression or anxiety. Um, but it, it is a, it's a definite issue. And um I guess the, the, the silver lining, Steve, I think for the pandemic is that it's shining a light on this. And uh, again, it's not, I, I think employers in the profession need to be cognizant of it. And again, I think it just impacts, impacts the bottom line. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And obviously talking about fitness, you've obviously done a lot in regards to fitness. You've run a lot of marathons. Um, would you be able to talk more about the company that you set up as to who it's aimed at and what services and support that it offers people? Sure. So uh, the name of the company is No Surrender, as I mentioned. And uh, that really derives from my time in law school, uh, which was in the mid eighties. Bruce Springsteen came out with an album, Born in the USA. And I went to law school in Washington, D.C., and in my first two years, I rode the city bus, and the Springsteen uh, album would loop in my head, including the song No Surrender. And that, frankly, got me through law school. So when I uh, 
decided to start this journey. I, it's really a nod to my days in law school when uh, the, the stress load, the workload was, as, as you well know, it, c- it can be crushing. And there were many days where I thought of giving up or surrendering, but I had Springsteen rattling around in my head saying I have to keep going. So I, I named it No Surrender. And uh, I'm, I'm doing podcasting. I'm doing continuing legal education seminars where I do a one-hour program, um, which basically is simple strategies to help lawyers uh, get back in the game if they had a, uh, a life of fitness before they started practicing law, and if they didn't, to help them start one. Because I found, as I mentioned, in my 33 years of practice, that this fitness component really helped me uh, be a better lawyer uh, on a number of levels. Uh, It it just had clarity of thought when I would work out or um, exercise. Uh, It would allow me to um, be more productive during very long days Uh, when I was on trial. Some of those days were 12 to 14 hours, day after day, and there's no respite from that. And I like to say you can't get through those days in in uh, or with Red Bull and Snickers bars. It's just not it's not sustainable. So uh, I'm doing again the podcasting, continuing legal ed. I'm doing some uh, one-on-one coaching. For private coaching clients, and then the one-to-many, if I could speak uh, before large groups. And uh, my goal, Steve, really is if I can reach one person, then uh, that's a win for me. If I can make uh, that lawyer more resilient and be able to handle the challenges that, that inevitably come a lawyer's way day after day. So that's kind of no surrender in a nutshell. Great. And it sounds a fabulous idea. And I'm I'm particularly intrigued about the link between fitness and helping you become a better lawyer. Um, Would would you say that fitness is part of the resilience training that helps lawyers? I mean, how how would fitness help? Uh, Okay, I... I agree 100%, and I'll, I'll give you two thoughts on this. If, if you're a, a, a barrister, uh, or I believe solicitor in the UK are the ones that are in court. So if you're a solicitor or a litigator in the States, if you think about the things that you cannot control in a case, there, there are basically seven things you can't control. You can't control the facts of the case. You can't control the law. You cannot control the judge. You cannot control the jury. You cannot control your adverse attorney, your opponent. You can't control the other party. And oh, by the way, sometimes you can't even control your own client. So those are seven things you can't control. What you can control is your physical uh, being. And uh, so that's the one thing that you, you actually have a say in. Now, obviously, you gather the facts and you work with your client and you present your best case. You advocate for them because that's what you are. But to the extent that you have no control over those things, you do have control over your fitness. And I'll give you a real world world example. A couple of years ago, I was picking a jury in Connecticut in a case 
And in Connecticut here in the States, jury selection is, is rather elongated. So we had a bit of a dust up over an expert witness. I filed a motion to preclude that expert witness from testifying. We took a break from jury selection. We argued the motion. And the judge said to me, in lieu of me precluding the expert, Mr. Fix, I'm going to allow you to take his deposition during jury selection. I said, fine, Your Honor, thank you. When should I do that? And he said, pick any evening. So we did. So on that given day, Steve, uh, I got to the office at 7 a.m. I was in court at 9. I picked a jury till 4. I returned to my office, got there at 5. I started the deposition at 6.30 p.m. and I ended at 9.30 p.m. So that was a 7 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Uh, day. And the next day I had to be in court. And I got through that. And again, I'm 57. I was at the time either 54 or 55 years old. That's, that's not that young. I still consider myself young. But ironically, a young attorney in my office sat through that deposition. I invited him to sit through the deposition because he had not been through an expert deposition. So at 930, when we adjourned, we were returning to our offices and he stifled a yawn. And I said, hey, was that a yawn? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, this is a teachable moment. If you want to be in this game, you, you need to be fit in order to get through these days. Yeah. So I left the office, I don't know, 10 p.m. I got home, sleep up the next day, do it again. So that's just an example, a recent one of where I was able to power through that 14 and a half hour day because I had this yeah. fitness component in my schedule. I mean, that's just incredible. Uh, that that really is. Um, now, I know the last time we spoke, Carl, there was an example that stuck with me and has stuck with me ever since we spoke um, about being kind and being lenient with your opponent, as it were, or the other side. Um, and I think that's really key for lawyers to be understanding and not just say no to a request. Even though you know it's unreasonable to say no, you still say no. Um, would you be able to discuss through that example? Because I thought that was a brilliant example. Sure. Uh, as part of my program, one of the things that I stress is to be flexible. And there's really two sides of that coin. The be flexible is for yourself. If you have a workout scheduled and something comes up, you have to be flexible. Or if during the workout, a piece of your equipment breaks, you get a flat tire, you have to be flexible. But the flip side of the coin is in this profession, be flexible with the folks that you work with and your adversaries. And the example that I gave you, and I'll repeat, was some years ago, I was training for the Disney Marathon in Orlando, Florida. And I had a trial scheduled the day after the marathon. And I wanted to stay in Orlando an extra night to just to enjoy the place. And I reached out to my adversary and I asked him for a continuance. And he said, no, he would not agree to that. So I said, I will file a motion. And I knew at the time that the presiding judge in this courthouse was in fact a runner. So when I filed my motion, uh, we have a rule in the States, I'm sure you have a similar one in the UK, it's called candor towards the tribunal. And I wasn't going to gin up 
some reason for my continuance. So in my motion, Steve, I wrote, I've trained X weeks for the Disney marathon. I'm running it on January blank. Uh, I would like to return to Connecticut two days later. Therefore, I request a one-week continuance. Granted, to the shock and chagrin of my adversary. Following that, we walked in the chambers, and the first thing the judge said to me, he looked up and he said, Carl, how did you do in the marathon? So I knew my audience. I knew this judge, but this was a totally unreasonable position by my adversary. It was one week. That was it. And the case had been pending for maybe two years. So I realized justice delayed is justice denied. But if you take out of 104 weeks, I asked for one more week. That's not that, that's not a big deal. That's 1% of the time. Similarly, I think if you have work with folks or you have direct reports and they say, I'd like to take Friday off to go run this race or go ride this ride or go climb this mountain, let them do it because it's, it's going to pay dividends. So I think there is definite room to be flexible with your adversary and your colleagues in your office. So uh, I just found that to be very helpful throughout my career. Yeah. And I think another thing that it shows is that, you know, your, your audience. So you knew the judge and you kind of knew when you filed the motion that it would be granted because of his background to the absolute astonishment of the other side. But it shows that you know the judge, you know how to approach the judge on a particular issue. And I think that's what all lawyers do tend to learn. You tend to learn those little quirks from those judges, what they like, what they don't like, how to address X, how not to address Y. And I think that's also a learning curve that all lawyers should take up and follow, really. I I agree with that. I was told as a young lawyer by a very seasoned trial lawyer, he said to me, litigation is the art of imitation. And whenever you, he said, Carl, whenever you find yourself in a courthouse for whatever reason, if it's a conference, go to your conference. And when you come out, find a courtroom where there's an active proceeding and sit and look and listen, and you'll learn things. So I took his advice and uh, I would pop my head in uh, whatever courtroom, wherever I could find perhaps uh, a trial or a motion or something. And I would listen uh, and try to learn. And uh, it, 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 proved, it proved very helpful. I was in federal court once uh, in New York and it was the first time I had appeared before the judge and there was a contested motion in, before my motion. And my adversary and I were just sitting there chatting. And this judge picked one person, one lawyer, and just tore him apart. Didn't even bother with the other lawyer. So I looked at my adversary. I said, well, Frank, either you're going down hard today or I'm going down. There's not going to be any middle ground. Uh, and, And that's something I just picked up from getting there a bit early and watching this judge interact with the other litigants. And clearly... Uh, you know, judges are supposed to be impartial that day. For some reason, this judge just picked on this one lawyer. And when we had our argument, sure enough, I I had won the lottery that day. He picked on my adversary (laughs) and I barely said a word. Uh, 
So again, litigation, yes, is the art of imitation and uh, it just helps to look, listen and learn. <clears throat> yeah, I, I 100% agree with that, um, particularly with my experience coming uh, or seeing a lot of judges. <clears throat> you do pick up how they approach. Some are a lot harder on doctors than others. Some judges are very relaxed. Other judges are the opposite of relaxed. And you kind of have to alter the way that you address the situation, depending on the type of judge that you have before you. Um, right. And and I and I draw parallels, frankly, to to fitness. That's why uh, this this journey of mine, this this company, is almost a natural fit because uh, you know you you mentioned the number of marathons that I've run that that numbers really not designed to impress, but rather to inform. Uh, I've, I've run these races, I've ridden these rides. So it's kind of a been there, done that. And, and I'm still learning. I, I, I look for learning opportunities every day, but uh, you know, I ran my first marathon in 1995. So that was uh, what, 36, 30, 26 years ago. Um, so, uh, you know, I've been down the road. I can tell somebody who hasn't done one, well, this is what works. This is what doesn't. Uh, there's a, a runner in the States, Joan Benoit Samuelson. She medaled in the 1984 Olympics in LA in the marathon. And she described that distance as a snake. At any given time, it can bite you. That's no different than uh, litigation. And I'll, I'll share an example in my trial advocacy class in law school. We had a professor who was a prosecutor, a federal prosecutor in the District of Columbia. And the first week of class, he brought in a stuffed toad that you'd win at a county fair and he put it on the lectern. And law students being law students, everybody said, professor, what is that? Professor, what is that? And he said, we'll get to that. And this went on for weeks. And finally he got to it. And what he said is, you have a witness and you think this witness is your star witness. You've worked with them. You've prepped them. Your, your prep sessions have gone beautifully. They've answered your questions exactly as you wanted to. And then when they get on the witness stand, that prince of a witness turns into a toad. And the mark of a good trial lawyer is how you deal with that toad. And that was the point of the stuffed toad. Now, that was a long time ago. I took that class in the fall of 87. I still remember that and what went on. And that happened in court. There were many times where things went south and you have to uh, switch gears and, and adapt. That's no different than um, fitness. Uh, I know another, I ran the Disney Marathon a number of times. I went once with a friend. We woke up early that morning to run the race and the humidity was, was as thick as mayonnaise. And I looked at my buddy, Paul, and I said, we need to change up our tactics here. This was this, they didn't call for that weather. They, the weather was looking good and this bizarre front moved in and we had to change it up immediately. Otherwise we couldn't sustain that pace for 26 miles that we wanted to because of the weather. So those things happen. And uh, it's, it's how you deal with them. Things like that happen in court. Things like that happen when you're working out. But I've always remembered that toad uh, example from my law school professor. That's a brilliant analogy with the toad. 
I'll, I will forever remember that. Um, yeah. I mean, if you've got a young lawyer or any person who wants to start out in fitness, what would your advice be in terms of how to start? Uh, a couple things. The first would be to, to schedule it no different than anything else. And uh, Starbucks, uh, you can go into a Starbucks and you could wait 20 to 25 minutes for your coffee because it's so wildly popular and backed up. You can do a workout, Steve, in 20 minutes. So if you're willing to wait 20 minutes for a Starbucks coffee, I believe personally, you can fit in even a 20 minute workout. Uh, I did CrossFit about 10 years ago. I, I started doing CrossFit way before it became popular for a number of reasons. And I worked with a coach and he gave me some 15 to 20 minute workouts. And I remember his name was Max. I said, Max, 20 minutes. And I was a bit contemptuous when I said that. And he said, Carl, when you finish this 20 minute workout, you'll be screaming for your mother. And he was correct. These 20 minute workouts were high intensity interval training. And I was able to work out for 20 minutes and that kind of set the tone for the day. So I would schedule, put something on the calendar. It's an accountability thing, no different than we schedule Zoom calls and everything else. The other thing that has worked for me very, very well is to, is to work out in the morning for a lot of different reasons. I'm by nature a morning person, so I like that. Others aren't. However, we all know how our days can go sideways. Uh, we are in the service business. You are at the beck and call, for lack of a better phrase, uh, of your clients. In this 24-7 world that we live in, uh, you can have a punch list. You're, you're walking to work or taking the subway or driving to work, and you're saying, I'm going to get these five things done. You get number one done, check, and you move on to number two, and the client calls, and they have a crisis. You have to drop everything because your client is in distress. It's the nature of the profession. If you had on that given day a 5 p.m. workout and your day's gone sideways, you may not get to it. And in your mind, well, a workout is not a revenue generating activity. So that may be the first thing that's cut from your schedule. I found and continue to find that if I do this first thing in the morning, I own it. It's mine and no one can take it from me. And that, frankly, is a very powerful feeling. Uh, I had a standing date with a friend on Friday mornings. We would run 10 miles. We'd meet at 530 in the morning. We'd be finished running by 645, shower. I'm in the office before 8 a.m. I've already run 10 miles and I am on cloud nine because I've got that workout in. And even though I'm running with a buddy, I'm still thinking. And I, I find in the workouts, there's such clarity of thought. It's, I empty my head and I, and I think of things. Um, so those would be a, a couple uh, tidbits. One is, again, schedule it. No different than yep. you walking into a Starbucks. And I would strongly recommend doing it in the morning. That's great. It really is. I mean, in terms of lawyers or, again, anyone who's suffering with their mental health at, at the moment, what tips would you give to build resilience or to 
help improve their their mental health for want of a better phrase? Well, um, again, I think just some movement, uh, however you want to do it. Um, I, I think forward motion to me is it's, it's a metaphor for a lot of things. And I think we, a lot of times lawyers are, are constantly in a state of overwhelm and they don't think they can get to everything. Well, they don't have to. I mean, we, we learn skills as we, as we go on in our career, we have to triage, we have to take the worst cases first. Uh, but in order to do that, I, I think you need to work in this fitness component and there needs to be a component of selfishness. And that's one thing that I think is frowned upon. But one thing I say in my CLE program is it's okay to be selfish. It's okay to have some me time because again, we are in service to others. And if we are offline, the dominoes fall. And the example that I give, it might be pithy, it might not, but if you're on an airline and, and the flight attendant is giving the, the pre-takeoff talk, they'll say, if you're traveling with a small child and the oxygen masks drop, put yours on first before assisting the small child. Why is that? Because if you don't, you're going to be on the floor and you are of no use or service to that small child. So I analogize fitness to that oxygen mask in order to uh, help um, your clients. You need to be selfish and help yourself. And I, I view this. I don't think this is an overstatement, but to me, fitness is like oxygen. We need it. Uh, you know, hope is like oxygen. We need that. And we can get we can get buried in the weeds, uh, and we can let it go, and that's not that's not good because again we will be taken offline. Yeah, I mean, I've said on quite a few of these episodes that yes, you are a lawyer, and your clients arguably come first, but if you don't look after you then how are you going to be able to look after the 60, 70, 80, 90 clients that you have on your caseload? You need to look after you first because if you don't look after you, then your clients will suffer, but not only that, the standard of service will suffer and that could lead to a whole lot of ramifications later down the line. Um, and also since COVID, I haven't realised fully maybe it's my my ignorance i haven't realized fully the importance of fitness because when the gyms closed over here due to coronavirus there was uproar they thought that gyms were essential because a lot of people go there and it's good for their not only their physical health but their mental health but then as soon as the gyms reopened Everyone was, was down there and people going to the gym has an effect on people that you don't see very often is that you go in there probably begrudgingly or you, don't, you, you, you didn't really fancy getting up early in the morning to go into the gym. But when you go in there and you do a workout and you come out, you literally feel like a million dollars because I, I, you feel 
pleased that you got yourself out of bed early in the morning to go to the gym and do the workout, even though when you're getting out of bed early, when you're driving to the gym, you're feeling, why am I doing this? Or what am I doing? I could still be in bed. But when you're in the gym and you do that workout, when you come out, you feel refreshed, you feel energized, and you you literally probably feel that nothing can stop you the rest of the day. I echo those comments, Steve. And the other thing gyms provide, frankly, is a sense of community that we lost during the pandemic. Uh, I happen to live 10 miles uh, from my office and my, my old law office. And I went in every day during the pandemic because it was close by. And uh, we have three, had three stories in an office building and, and maybe 80 to 100 people worked there in our firm. And there were about 10 of us in on three different floors. It was safe, but it was really quiet. Uh, but it, it gave me that, okay, I'm still part of this firm feeling. Um, so I think gyms provide not only the benefits that you just described, but the ancillary benefit of th- this is my community. And I have found that the fitness community um, is, is a very warm community. And, and I'll give you an example. You know, this Saturday, sadly, will be the 20th anniversary of 9 11. Well, five days after 9-11 in 2001, I ran a 15-mile road race with a friend of mine, and there were hundreds of us at this road race, and we had a moment of silence for what had just happened in the world. And I remember looking at my buddy saying, there's no place I want to be, you know, other than with my family, there's no place I want to be than right here, right now with this community. And that repeated itself sadly in 2012 in Connecticut, there was a, a, the Sandy Hook massacre where a, a gunman shot up a, a grade school. The next day, Steve, I ran a 10 mile race. Uh, it was a Saturday and same thing, that running community, we had a moment of silence and you could hear people quietly sobbing, but the whole community, the, the group of runners, we just lifted ourselves up. It was a very sorrowful day. It was only 50 kilometers from my house that that happened. And I, I thought, again, this is where I want to be. So it's that sense of community that I've found um, in, in the fitness world. And, and I think the gyms, to your point, provide that in addition to the, the kind of euphoric, I, I call it an intoxicating feeling. I, I just find it yeah intoxicating it 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 gives you uh it just gives you a little extra pep during the day yeah which i think people need that probably more than ever at the minute with how things uh are going on you never feel like you're gonna get back to normal whatever normal is gonna be now so to get that that lift is is kind of good for everyone at the minute Right. And, and I've heard the, the word languish uh, used with some regularity. People are seemingly languishing because where are we? Well, we thought the vaccine was going to be the elixir and you get the jab and let's move on. Well, we've got the Delta variant. And uh, again, this is way above my pay grade, but will there be another? Some say yes, some say no. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think folks are languishing and, and, that sense of, of languish, you, you're not, 
you're not accomplishing anything. And that, that kind of ties in with another point I wanted to make. In the legal business, as you know, cases can go on and on and on, and it doesn't give you a sense of accomplishment, uh, whereas a workout does. Um, I, I mentioned that in, for four years, I, I went and worked in the not-for-profit world. That was in 2013. My last trial before that, Steve, was in 2012. And that was for an accident which occurred in 2004. So from 2004 wow. to 2012, for eight years, we litigated that case. Uh, that's a long time. That takes a lot of per mm -hmm. patience and persistence. You, do, you go to the gym and you work out for 30 minutes. There's a beginning, there's an end, there's a result, there's satisfaction. It's almost, we, in, in the world that we live in with social media, et cetera, there's instant gratification. Some of it is not good, but I think a 30 minute or a 60 minute workout gives you that instant gratification that you can't always get as a lawyer because things take so long. Um, so that's yet, a, to me, that's yet another benefit. I. I love to cut my lawn at my house because there's a start, there's a finish, and then I can look at a freshly cut lawn and I can admire it. That yeah. case I gave you that took eight years, it took a very long time to admire my hard work. So I, I think fitness <laughs> gives you that. Yeah, I mean, how would you mentally prepare for a case that goes on for eight years? I mean, well, that must be some, that, that must have been tough. It, yeah, because uh, you just, you, you never feel like you're going to get over the finish line. So uh, I think, frankly, uh, litigation mimics endurance events. It, it really does. You just, you just need a strong constitution to be able to do this. And the other thing too is, there aren't any shortcuts. Um, there, you can't you can't shortcut the practice of law. And if you want to run a marathon, I use that distance. You really can't shortcut that. You can't wake up tomorrow, September 10th, and say, in two weeks on September 24, I'm going to run a marathon. It doesn't work that way. So we all have we all know folks in the profession who may try to cut corners, uh, but it doesn't it doesn't work. Same with fitness. It doesn't work. But again, it doesn't have to be a marathon. It can be that 15 or 20 minute workout. It can be that at 2 p.m. today, I'm working from home, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk a mile. I'm going to walk two miles. I'm going to take my dog for a walk. I'm going to push my child in a stroll or something. Just some forward motion, which kind of clears out the clutter and allows you to to again be more resilient and handle what what comes your way because we we uh, none I mean, of us know what's around the next corner no exactly and i mean i could talk to you for ages carl i mean we've covered a lot of ground um and i've certainly learned and i'm sure the listeners would have learned a correlation between fitness mental health the correlations between litigation and a marathon there are a lot of points that you can take from this discussion without doubt um what i like to finish on is a fun question 
Um, and that fun question would be, if you could choose any person, any actor, to play you in a film, who would it be and why? <laughs> I love that question. <laughs> uh, who would it be? Uh, I'm a big fan of Sean Connery. I loved, uh, okay. I loved Sean Connery as James Bond. I love the Bond movies. I love the uh, Ian Fleming's books. And I always found Sean Connery be, to be the quintessential uh, James Bond. There was something about his mannerisms, uh, his quiet temperament. Um, I just love Sean Connery movies and I always respected him as an actor. So I think my short answer, Steve, would be Sean Connery. Fantastic. Um, well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, Carl. Thank you um, I'm so sure much. The listeners will have found it very insightful, very interesting. So thank you once again for being a guest. I appreciate it. If I could, I, I've got something if the listeners would like it. Um, I put together just a short little piece. It's 10 steps to get back in the game, just little tips that may help folks get back yeah, on yeah. a fitness train. And they can find that at carlfix.com forward slash free. So it's www.carlficks.com forward slash free. If they go there, uh, they'll get the 10 steps to getting back in the game. These are things that work for me. And I, I would invite your community to just uh, be curious with them. One may work, they all may work, but hopefully they'll get something out of it. So, and that's just my thank you to your listeners and your community for having me on. It's, it's been a, a, a lot of fun and, and again, a privilege. Thank you for your time, Carl. And I'm sure the listeners and myself will be looking up that website to see right. what works. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Steve.